I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 18. We're going to take a long drink of scripture this morning. That's why I brought my water up. (laughs) I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. To the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies. And from the hand of Saul, he said, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, thick clouds dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundation of the world were laid bare at your rebuke O Lord at the blast of the breath of your nostrils he sent from on high he took me he drew me out of the many waters he rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me for they were too mighty for me they confronted me in the day of my calamity but the Lord was my support he brought me out into a broad place he rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me, and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. 
He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them. I did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me and those who hated me I destroyed. They cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with the people. You made me the head of the nations, people whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me, and you delivered me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king, and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. This is God's holy word. We've been working through the Psalms all summer, and we'll be concluding this reflection on Psalms in the next couple of weeks. Psalm 18 is, you see a lot of military language in Psalm 18, don't you? David was not only a shepherd and a songwriter and a king, he was a warrior as well. He was a military man, which is why you see such, such visceral military language, and it may seem somewhat offensive to our contemporary sensibilities. Nonetheless, David is not boasting when he talks about his enemies and he talks about his military campaigns, he's not boasting at all. He's giving thanks. He's actually speaking from a posture of humility. He's recalling all of God's help over many years from the moment that he was anointed king to be when he was a teenager through many hardships, uh, having to run for his life from King Saul being under you know, threat of his very life, hiding in caves as a refugee, uh, as, as a, having to live in foreign countries uh, because, because he was wanted for his life. And after many years, finally assuming the throne of Israel and Judah, and finally having his strength, his power, his administration established and somewhat at peace, finally he writes this psalm. Uh, you can see a very, almost word-for-word word, uh, another iteration of this in 2 Samuel chapter 22. 
This is really like a speech. It's like a graduation party speech. Have you ever had one of those where you graduated from some phase of your education and everyone came to your party and you get up and you say a couple of nice things about your mom and your dad or your best friend or your favorite teacher, everybody who's helped you get to that point. Just want to thank and praise those people who got you that fire in your life. Think of a politician who has won her office and, and she's having a big party and, and the, 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 news, the news affiliates are there and, and, and you hear this politician thanking and praising everyone who got her to this point being able to win the election. But David's psalm is a history, it's, it's a testimony, it's a thanksgiving of all that God did, of all of God's faithfulness to him through the years, from being told he would be king one day to actually becoming king. Actually, everything David says here in Psalm 18 is really a picture of all ancient Israel's history. David is really not only speaking for himself, but when you, when you take a step back and you look at Old Testament history, he's speaking for the nation of Israel. Actually, if you're willing to look at Psalm 18 with eyes of faith, he may even be speaking for you. And that's my hope today, as you'll read Psalm 18 and you'll begin to see yourself in the story. And actually, as you consider Christianity, I think Psalm 18 is a great synopsis of the Christian life. The Bible's understanding of walking with Christ in faith is a life of trust and remembrance and witness. And you'll see all these things right here in Psalm 18. Trust, remembrance, and witness. David saw his story with eyes of faith. He's looking at his past and everything that's brought him up to this point in his life and in his career with eyes of faith. And so the first thing he does when he begins singing this prayer is he demonstrates his trust in God's protection. He says in verses 1 through 3, I love you. How many people talk to their creator that way? I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. But this is interesting. David's recollection of God's help does not overlook his own weaknesses. And you see this this is a very unique thing about ancient histories. Often the conquerors just praised themselves. But, but here in the Bible, David, like most of the New Testament and Old Testament authors, he doesn't praise himself. He's talking about how God was mighty to save him throughout his life, but he also points out all of his weaknesses. How many people who write the histories, the history books, the conquerors who write their own histories, ever expose their own weaknesses? But David's doing it right here. At one point, you remember in verse 17 where he basically said, my foes, my enemies were too strong for me. In a military sense, I was not strong enough or capable enough to defeat my enemy. And he says, this is what he says in verses 4 through 6. The cords of death encompass me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol, that's the grave, entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, look at that honesty when he looks back on his life. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. 
Faith is as honest as it is trusting. A life of faith not only trusts in God, but it's honest. It's honest about your weaknesses. It's honest about your past. Not only does he trust in God to protect him, but he is remembering, he remembers, that's what the whole psalm is, he's remembering God's deliverance. Not only his weaknesses, he's remembering how God delivered him. Look at verses six through eight. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. This, this made me think of Carol King's song from 1971, I Felt the Earth Move. Some of you are old enough, sorry. Some of you are old enough to remember when Carol King first sang that. I feel the earth move under my feet. I feel the sky tumbling down. I feel my heart start to trembling whenever you're around. Now she's talking about her lover, right? When, when, you, when, when you're around me, when I'm in your presence, you just rock my world is basically what Carol King was saying. But David is saying the same thing about his creator. He's saying, when my creator shows up, when my creator acts in real time and space, in history, in my life, it's as if the mountains are falling down. Now, the creator of the universe can level mountains, quite physically, quite literally. That's not what David is saying here. David is poetically saying, God showed up in my life. He showed up and he shook the very foundations of all that was true, of all that was real, of all of my threats, of all of those who would seek my harm. He showed up and things just fell apart for everybody around me who sought my destruction. He's singing about a creator who defends him. You know, you look at passages like this and you go, oh, that's the God of the Bible. He just seems like an angry guy, like a hateful, wrathful guy. Look at it the other way. Don't just regard this as God's wrath against who David calls wicked people. Look at it as God's passionate defense for somebody that he loves. Because somebody who loves you, who loves you, will passionately protect you at all costs, won't they? And that's what David realizes. My creator, whom I trust, is passionately defending me from harm. Because the cause of God's deliverance is always his love. At the end of the psalm in verse 50, David uses this word that keeps coming up in his psalm, steadfast love or loving kindness or in some translations, mercy. This is God's covenantal love. It's the love that God keeps because of his goodness, not because of your goodness. And David remembers God's love. And what does he say in verse 19? He rescued me. Why? Because he delighted in me. The preacher from over 100 years ago, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he said this about verse 19. Free grace lies at the foundation. Rest assured, if we go deep enough, sovereign grace is the truth which lies at the bottom of every well of mercy. So David sees God's deliverance is the fruit of his love for me. Now he has shown us how he trusted in God's protection and he shows us how he remembers God's deliverance. But finally, David concludes by what? By praising. He concludes by saying, I'm going to be a witness 
for God's deliverance. I'm going to be a witness by praising God for delivering me. And that's what he does in verse 49. For this, and he's talking about everything that God's done for him. For this, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Actually, the Psalms help us see why it is good to worship and praise the God of the Bible. Because when you grow up and you go to class and when you hang out you know, with your friends in the neighborhood and when you watch the news and you, you watch movies, and you, you don't hear much about praising humanity's creator. It, it embarrasses some people. It, it's not something we hear a lot out there in the world. The Psalms are full of these commands and these exhortations and these encouragements to worship God, to praise him. And it makes some people feel uncomfortable. It made C.S. Lewis feel uncomfortable before he was a Christian. As a, he became a Christian as an adult after having been a skeptic most of his adult life. Um, C.S. Lewis didn't take anything for granted when he looked at the Bible because it was all new to him as an adult as he began to see uh, existence with eyes of faith. And, and the idea of praising God and worshiping God and being commanded to worship God in the Bible, it, it really made him feel uncomfortable. And, and here's what he said about it. When I first began to draw near to belief in God, and even for some time after it had been given to me, I found a stumbling block in the demand so clamorously made by all religious people that we should praise God. Still more in the suggestion that God himself demanded it. We all despise the man who demands continued assurance of his own virtue, intelligence, or delightfulness. Nobody likes, nobody likes an egomaniac, right? right? We detest people who have to be admired. C.S. Lewis went on to say this, but he started thinking about it differently. He said, what do we mean when we say a picture is admirable? Now, let me stop for a second. Just think of something you love. Think of a painting or a movie or a song or a sculpture, a work of art or a place in creation that you think is beautiful. Anything that you love and admire and want other people to love and admire because you do. He's, he's trying to get us to think that way. What do we mean when we say a picture is admirable? He said, that admira what we mean is this, that ad admiration is the correct, adequate, appropriate response to it. That if we do not admire it, we shall be stupid, insensible, and great losers. We shall have missed something if we don't admire it. And C.S. Lewis wrote, I did not see that it is in the process of being worshipped that God communicates his presence to men. And he went on to write that it's not even that God needs to be praised and worshipped. He doesn't need anything from us. Rather, we need to worship and praise him. That's why the Bible says worship and praise God. Because it's not that he needs it. We desperately need it. He went on to write, praise almost seems to be inner health made audible. He wrote, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It's, it's like it's a pointed consummation. And, and I take Lewis's uh, discovery of why it's important to praise God and to witness 
as a Christian of the wonders of God's deliverance as I begin to think about things in my own life that I love. So as a musician, I love good music of, of almost any style and genre. I love good music. And, and why, when I discover good music, I enjoy it and begin to love it. And then I want to share it with other people. So if I come across a really great jazz album, I will email a really good friend of mine who's a professional jazz drummer. And I'll say, hey, I'm listening to this right now and I thought of you. And he'll, oh yeah, that's one of the best record, that's considered one of the best recordings of all time and we'll enjoy it together. I love pizza. I have a hard time finding good pizza in Maryland. But you, you, some of you know this, when I find good pizza, I tell you, I say, try this place. That's the best place I've found in Westminster. That's the best pizza in Westminster. Or probably in Western Maryland, that's the best place. Go to Brenda's in Deep Creek. That's the best pizza in Maryland. Or, or go to 1978 New York Pizza down in Pasadena. That's the best pizza if you're down in that area. Because I love it and I want to share it with you. And what completes my joy is that you experience it too. Right? It's, it's, it's as we experience it together, we share and testify of these wonderful things in the world and in our lives. When we, when we enjoy it together, that, C.S. Lewis says, is the consummation of our joy. Because these things, just it's just natural that we would delight in them. And, and David discovers the same thing about the God of the Bible. It, it just became David's natural response to commend God to everyone because of what God had done for him, because he tasted the Lord and saw that he was good, as he said in another psalm. So David's praise and David's witness of this God of the Bible was his obvious response to seeing God in his story, okay, throughout his personal history. So we see here in Psalm 18, David's life of trust, remembrance, and then finally, witness as a response. Now, this is a very ancient song, but it is highly relevant. It is very good advice for you today. There is great benefit to seeing your story through eyes of faith. When you get into the habit of reflecting like this on your life, as David is doing, regardless of how difficult your life has been, because you're going to have a hard time saying your life was harder than David's. You get into the habit of reflecting like David does here. You, you become better poised for the next phase of your life. Some of you are at the beginning of a new chapter in your life. And this is a reflecting like this upon your life will really help you out now as you get deeper into it, as the road continues. Look at verses 28 to 32, where David says, For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop. He's speaking again like a military man. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God, the God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. See, when pushed to the max, God will give you what you most need. So having this perspective will help you if you're facing something new or something big. 
having this perspective is going to be helpful if you start a new job or if you welcome a new child into your family or adopt a child or if you welcome a hurting person into your home, maybe a relative who's sick or a friend who has nowhere else to go. You know, big stuff and new stuff for some of us. This is a good way of thinking as you, some of you, are beginning a new academic year. All ages and grades and, and degrees. Right? Some of you are starting afresh just this week or last week. This is a good way to start thinking. This is a good habit to develop. Some of you face, some of us at different times will face a life-threatening illness. This is a good way to think. It's a good habit of getting into now, not when you're going through the sickness. Because you may, not, you may not be ready to think that way when you're going through it. You don't want to start thinking this way when you're cramming during exams week at the end of the semester. You want to start thinking this way now. This perspective, this readiness, this confidence that you see David having, it springs from the love of God. That's where he's getting this perspective from. It keeps coming back to this. It's, it's the love of God. And in the New Testament, the authors of the New Testament, they approach it the same. They look at their lives the same way. Paul said to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for the love of Christ controls us. Or as another translation says, compels us or constrains us. Paul said, everything I do is because the love of God is motivating me. God's love for me and likewise my love for God. This is why I do what I do. Because that's the love that, that compels me forward. And then he said to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 4, I can, and he said this while he was in prison, by the way. He said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And then again, Charles Haddon Spurgeon applies this concept by saying this. Why Jehovah should delight in us is an answerless question. And it's a mystery which angels themselves cannot solve. But that he does delight in his beloved is certain. That's the perspective you need as you're beginning this new phase of your life. As you're enduring something that is, kind of as David said, too big for you. This is the perspective you need. So let me ask you a question. Is God the missing person in your story? Whether you're not a Christian or whether you think you're very religious, practically speaking, is God the missing person in your story? We all have hard, long, dark journeys, I know. And some of you are in the middle of a... You are on a path right now and you are wondering, how am I going to endure it? But what we often do on our own, uh, our own difficult journeys is, is we trust wrongly, we remember selectively, and we witness rarely. As Ed said earlier when he was leading us in, in a prayer of confession, uh, often we don't, we don't have joy in affliction because our hope is in the wrong thing. And that was very... Uh, that was very insightful because we trust wrongly, we remember selectively, and we witness rarely. Are you trusting in the wrong people to see you through? Maybe good people. 
but they're not good enough. They're not strong enough. They're not smart enough. They're not consistent enough to see you through everything in your life. Are you trusting in the wrong people, good as they may be, loving as they may be? Are you trusting in the wrong things, using them as panaceas to just make difficult days less difficult? What are you hoping in? What are you trusting in to see you through? It won't be enough. I promise you, it won't be enough. Are you remembering your past selectively? Do you have selective memory about your past? Because that can come in, in, in two very general ways. Sometimes in bitterness, we only recall our failures on our trip-ups and the things that have gone wrong. Are you just remembering what's gone wrong in your life? That's selective memory. You nurse your wounds and, and, and you find some kind of identity in, in just being bitter about what's been going on, about what's happened. Or do you, in your arrogance, simply recall your triumphs? You know, when people get to know you, you know, where was this? I saw, I, I, I can't quote the person who, who wrote this, but I saw a statistic somewhere that in the first few minutes, men more than women will lie several times about themselves in meeting a new person. But, but when you share your story with people, when you want people to get to know you, do you give them the real you or do you just talk about your triumphs and your successes and the things that people have said to praise you and the things that you've done well? That's selective memory also. David's not doing that because he's talking about how God has been his salvation and has saved him. He's talking about how his enemies were too great for him. Do you talk that way? Or do you just remember the good stuff the, the shiny stuff about yourself, that's selective as well. We're selective in our bitterness and we're also selective in our arrogance. And then, of course, you're, even if you're a Christian, you're going to witness rarely when you're in this type of a state, right? Be- because you're not going to praise God for the good things that go on in your life. You're going to praise yourself. Or you're going to praise your friends or other people. It's easier to praise people than to praise God. In general, what kind of happens is this. Uh, When things go terribly wrong for us, we think, where was God? Where was he when I needed him? Or if things go really well, we start to say, I did that. I was there when I really needed me. (laughs) I was there for you. Don't forget about our relationship. You must embrace the story of Jonah. That was our call to worship today. That's the first scripture we read together. Jonah, when he had been brought almost to the lowest point, unfortunately, the whale situation was not his lowest. It got worse, but we don't have time to get into Jonah's story. But Jonah's story needs to somehow become a part of yours because in his prayer, Jonah said, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple, Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Now, the word there for grace, regardless of what English translation you have, I believe the word is loving kindness. It's covenant love. Jonah went on to say, but I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. The gospel, the good news of Christianity is that God has entered the story. Whether we like it or not, 
God and the man Jesus has entered the human story. And whether you like it or not, he's entered your story. And faith is finally admitting and confessing that, yes, Jesus is the expression, is the, the very witness of God entering into your story. Paul in Romans 15 quotes Psalm 18. I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs, Abraham and Isaac, even David. To confirm the promises made to the patriarchs so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, and now Paul quotes Verse 49 of Psalm 18. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. So Paul reads David's story and sees Jesus in it. Jesus ultimately is God's witness that he is strong to save you. Jesus is ultimately God's witness that, like David said, he will deliver you. When your enemies and when life is too much for you and too strong for you, God will not abandon you. Why? Because he loves you. And Jesus is God's witness of his great love for you. Jesus was hung on a cross. He hung himself on a Roman cross. And then even though he died, he rose from the grave. And so his, his cross and his resurrection are God's witness to us. And Jesus is God's witness to the world that he was going to offer deliverance to everyone. Everyone who would call upon him by faith and bring Jesus and say, yes, Jesus, I want you to be a part of my story. So I would encourage you today, before you continue to study, um, as you endure this sickness, as you go through a new difficult period of your life where you're managing a person or a job or a conflict that you know you are not too, you are not smart enough for or skilled enough for or equipped enough for, let Jesus into your story. Actually, I'm going to say more than that. Let him rewrite it. Let, let Jesus... Let, let his light and truth into every dark chapter of your life story. And look back, as David did, and see the grace of God in the love of Christ through every part of your existence. And let Jesus weave into the plot line an indelible mark of his grace for you every step of the way. David, again, I want to repeat verse 19. He said, God rescued me because he delighted in me. This has got to be at the center of your story if you're a Christian. And if it's not at the center of your story, maybe for the first time today, make it the theme of your story. That God rescued you because he delighted in you. Even before you knew him. Even before your behavior changed. He delighted in you. Spurgeon again said this, Believer, sit down. Sit down. And inwardly digest the instructive sentence now before us. And learn to view the uncaused love of God as the cause 
of all the loving kindness of which we are the partakers. The Christian life is one of trust and remembrance and witness. Through Psalm 18 and through the gospel itself, the God of the Bible calls you to trust him. Really now, trust him. So that when you look back at your story, you will remember more than just the darkness. You'll you'll start remembering his light shining through the darkness. And if you didn't know him back then during those dark chapters, that's okay. Because as you reflect upon them, his light will transform how you see it. So trust him and you'll begin to remember his goodness even in the darkness. And that will fill you with a love for him that will make you want to praise him like David did. It will make you want to be a witness of God's deliverance, the God who delivers you because he really does love you. Let's pray. Father, may our songs of faith echo the faith of David who called you his deliverer because of your great love for him. And I think he would admit, like Paul did, I think he would admit that he was the chief of sinners. I think he would admit that he was the biggest sinner he knew. And yet, he was close to your heart, the Bible tells us. And I I think, Father, it's because he he knew you loved him. Father, give give us this sense of your love Help us to rewrite, to rewrite our story as individuals, as families, and as a church, as a faith community. Help us to write our story in light of your saving grace, in light of your, in light of your unfailing love. Give us such a perspective on our history. And Father, draw other people in as, as we share this story, as we sing about it, as we talk about it, as it changes us. Invite people in our community and in our county and in our world into this endless song that retells your story in the lives of those who trust you and remember your salvation even in the darkness and praise you. In the name of Jesus Christ, our great Savior. Amen.